Chiefs training camp continued on Tuesday, and the first off day is in sight. On today's show, Chiefs beat writer Brooke Pryor and columnist Vahe Gregorian talk about the news of the day, which included a scary collision that took Tyreek Hill out of practice. Also, we discuss Chiefs defensive coordinator Steve Spagnolo, who met the media for the first time in camp. Later, you'll hear my conversation with Chiefs general manager Brett Veach. We talk about putting together the 2019 Chiefs. All this on Sports PKC, the sports podcast presented by the Kansas City Star. I'm your host, Blair Kirkhoff. Guys, here we are again. <laughs> Seem, seems like a daily thing. It does seem like a daily thing, doesn't is it? it? Is it because we have a daily podcast? It might be. It's a daily podcast that tends to be recorded late in the afternoon and uh, and, and put on the, the Kansas City Star's website and Megaphone and SoundCloud and all the you know all the outlets um, around dinner time. At least these first couple of days. I don't know if that'll be the trend, but hey. You're getting a daily podcast. You know? <laughs> and look, there are some moving parts in our days. Today, I was the moving part when I said to you I'd be done a little earlier, and you said you don't believe me. <laughs> it's almost like you guys have worked together for how many years? <laughs> it's almost like you know each other. <laughs> you know what, though, Vahe, props for, that you at least finished. I just had to go take a walk because they finally turned on the AC where we're working here at Missouri Western, and it got really cold in that room, and we had just eaten lunch, and I had to go out to the parking lot and make some laps around the cars to warm up and get the blood flowing again. So it's unclear to me. Have you written your story yet? I have written about 250 words. But it's going to be on Frank Clark and Steve Spagnuolo and uh, how Frank Clark's attributes make him... Not only a leader on this team, but someone that Spags really likes. And, I mean, we just saw him destroy Cam Irving today. And Eric Fisher yesterday. So he's uh, he's been having a lot of fun with the, with the O-linemen. And we're going to hear from Spags, uh, Steve Spagnolo, the defensive coordinator, in, in a few minutes. Uh, little inside journalism, 250 words written, not a story. <laughs> Wow, not Blair. Quite, not quite a story completed story. I don't know if you're story. aware that I, we could put it up as a story, and it could still get a click, but it would be unfinished, uh, unfortunately. But sometimes we do have 250-word stories. Oh, yeah, I write a lot of 250-word stories, but you don't because you write nice, long features. I was going to say, you don't because you're long-winded is where I thought that was going, and I would say also true. That I accept. This is some serious inside journalism stuff, inside sport like writing in particular. I spot's really being blown up right now, Blair. <laughs> This now people are going to come to expect these novels from me on a day when I just want to bang out five hundred words, get in, get out, and go home. Mm, yeah, no, that's my job. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, don't sell yourself short. You're also our podcast host. All right, so uh, we, we we turned about three hundred words on on a uh, little newsworthy item at yeah. practice today. That was uh, Tyreek Hill, uh, the wide receiver who. Suffered. Um, it turns out to a, a, a bruise, right? A quad, contusion. A quad contusion is what they called it—a a bruise on a collision. A fancy word for a bruised thigh, which is what I get whenever I don't see the like the coffee table and run into <laughs> it. His was significantly more of a collision, though. Yes, it was on a on a uh, pass breakup by Rashard Breland, the cornerback, who was in his first practice today, right? Yeah. And uh, there's, there's no tackling yet. Even though they have pads on, there's no tackling. But, uh, but there was a collision. Ball, defender, receiver got there all about the same time. Mm-hmm. And Tyreek Hill got the worst of it. So what happened after the collision? Well, first of all, leading up to the collision, it looked like they were in zone coverage. Uh, and then Tyreek was just sitting in the zone. And Bashad ran up kind of behind him and stuck an arm out. And they both kind of were airborne at that point. 
So Tyreek's on the field. He gets up and I believe walks Jogs over to the medical tent. And then we see them start to evaluate him. Uh, he takes off his jersey. At that point, you know his day is over. Uh, he gets in the back, or he gets in, excuse me, in the front of the cart. Key which that is that is a very key point. Is that when you're in the front of the cart leaving practice, it's significantly better for you than if you are in the back of the cart. We saw Keith Reeser leave practice yesterday on the back of the cart. It's believed that he has the Achilles tendon tear. Didn't get an update on that today. Mm-hmm. I think they're still evaluating him. But right. But you're right. So Tyree killed up the hill in the in the cart mm-hmm. in the front seat. In the front seat. Also, I think it's interesting. Uh, his grandparents are here, and we saw right. both of them, or at least. Herman Hill went up to the room, I guess, where they were doing x-rays or checking him out or whatever else. And I, I assume his grandmother was also um, there with him. We saw her um, in her cheetah shirt, which yeah. his grandpa also has one of those. And then word came down from Adam Schefter fairly quickly, I think within five minutes, uh, that it was just a quad contusion. Because at the time, it looked like it could be an ankle, something right leg, significantly when, worse. And once again, I was well, I was, really wasn't dilly-dallying. I was making some phone calls this morning for other stories, but I wasn't there. Did you guys – did did the jog to the tent, the, the fact that he'd gotten up in between, take a little of the uh-oh out, out of that? I mean, was there was there any real fear that, that it might be a season-ending type of thing for I, a few minutes? or, or I don't think season-ending was ever a concern, but I did feel like – it sucked the energy out of practice yeah. until and like and maybe it was just coincidence, but it felt like after we saw Schefter's tweet, it picked back up. Um, but I noticed I was in the back of the tent, and I didn't see the actual injury happen. I you know talked to some people about it afterward, um, but it felt like all of a sudden it just got kind of quiet, and then you heard claps like somebody had been injured and got up because it did take him some time to get up, and then it just felt like. There was less chatter in the crowd, less buzz, less cheering. I mean, because for one thing, Tyreek brings in energy to practice. Um, and when he's gone, it's definitely noticeable that it's not there. And then the way that he left, I think also is kind of like, uh-oh, I mean, is he going to miss? How much training camp could yeah. he miss? How you know preseason games are we thinking, will he be there in week one, week two? I think with a quad contusion, it's he may miss a couple practices. They have an off day Thursday. It wouldn't shock me if he's not at practice on Wednesday because Wednesday is a shortened practice. It's a 10-10-10 day, um, which just means there's – I don't they don't use – they don't practice in pads on 10-10-10 days, I don't believe. I'm not sure about that. I think it, it depends. Uh, you're right. You're right. I, I don't think they're in pads. It's just a, it's going to be a quick practice that starts at 9-15 on Wednesday, and they'll be out by 10-30, quarter of 11, latest uh, for tomorrow. You know, the other thing about Tyreek Hill, it's just so rare to see him hurt, you know. He's been hurt. Um, he's been hurt each of the last two seasons, had the heel injury last year, I think uh, happened in the Ravens game, but played through it. I think it was on a special teams uh, on a return. But anyway, you just don't see he, you don't see him on the sideline injured like that. You, you don't. And I remember, I can't remember the exact wording, but I do recall him at one point saying, I don't get hurt, <laughs> like just right. declaring it. And there is something funny about his body – I mean, he's sort of a walking muscle to begin with, right? But I do remember when I went to go uh, down down to his hometown area and speaking with really a guy who was his mentor, Jerry Hill, his track coach, talking about like the Tyreek back then didn't stretch. Like, Which is just there was just this. The, there is there is a lot of different stuff at play with his body. I mean, it's a, it's a different kind of frame. I mean, he's 
you know, it's almost really built like and, and incredibly fast. In the way that he can get up and just go. It, it well, it is right. I mean, uh, whatever the word would be. I mean, there is a remarkable thing there where he. It, it's part of his acceleration. Mm-hmm. It's part of his ability to come out of a cut. It's part of his athleticism going up for the ball. There's something really you could do probably a sports science segment on him, not just his speed, but but all of what his physical mm-hmm. ability is. Sammy Watkins was telling us yesterday how um, he he spent part of the summer learning how to cut by Tyreek Hill. He said mm-hmm. nobody does it better than Tyreek Hill, and um, it's a good observation that he, you know, McCole Hardman may be as fast or in the in, certainly in the neighborhood of speed with Tyreek Hill. But Tyreek Hill is just a different type of fast. I mean, mm-hmm. he's fast and he's other things. Mm-hmm. And right now, McCole Hardman is simply fast and maybe yeah. can, can learn to do other things. Well, that is interesting to, to picture the influence having a guy like that around could bring to a McCole Hardman, except for some of it is just either you can or can't. Right, I mean, you're born with it. Yeah, I mean, Tyreek, although I'm not sure this is true about Tyreek his first year. Probably it is, but... It seems to me pretty noticeable the last couple of years, his ability to really accelerate out of a cut, right? The things that should slow you down, all of a sudden he's got another gear. It, it Again, one of those doesn't really make sense mm-hmm. things. Not normal. Not normal. Okay, uh, not the only news that came out of, of camp today. We heard from uh, Steve Spagnolo, the defensive coordinator, and, and late in his uh, session with the media, he was asked specifically about uh, Kendall Fuller. We've been curious about the use of Kendall Fuller uh, in training camp. We hadn't seen him with the cornerbacks on the on the on the outside, he, only in only in the slot. And Steve Spagnolo uh, addressed that today. And Brooke, he what did he say? He was yeah. He said he said that's not a coincidence that he's been pretty much exclusively working at the slot. That that's where they are going to emphasize him this season and they would really only bounce him outside in case of emergencies or he said maybe a couple other times I think if, if you really need to show a different look um, but yeah I get the sense that they are not going to use him he's not going to be a, a part of the regular rotation at the outside corner spots and those two have been primarily occupied by Shervarius Ward and then Bashad Breland and or Demontre Wade Wade played a lot of snaps while Breland was out with the thumb laceration. But even today, Breland was back, and Demontre Wade was taking first-team snaps at outside corner for some of it. So, um, But Kendall Fuller, I think his skill set fits in really well at slot, but he was one of their best outside corners last year. I also wonder if that's just because the rest of the outside corners were Orlando Skandrick and some of those other guys that were not anything to necessarily write home about. Sort of to your point, I thought it was interesting that, that Steve Spagnuolo today mentioned something about we don't basically along the lines of we don't quite know what we have at corner yet I mean the way he said it was a little more eloquent than that but but I I thought it was interesting that he just kind of out and said it yeah I, I think and I think that's right because when you're next man up after Bashad Breeland goes down who he wasn't the major free agency signing and he wasn't one of the top two or even three free agency signings but he was still I'd say top five I mean he was a significant one when he goes down and your next man up is a guy that spent all last year on the practice squad that I don't think anybody had projected to be a part of that rotation. I mean, that's interesting. Uh, and then you look at the fact Keith Reeser goes down. That's cornerback depth that you've lost. But even so, like, he's a guy from the AAF that was also, I mean, waived um, with the injury settlement last year. But I think that there's a lot of untapped potential in the cornerback spot. But I think that's also why 
that's where they're going to be looking to make some moves, and they're using this time to evaluate exactly what they have and what type of corner they need to fill in some of the gaps and, and fill in some of their deficiencies. Okay, well, speaking of uh, Steve Spagnolo, the defensive coordinator, let's hear from Spags uh, some of the comments that he made to the media at, uh, at today's workout. How ambitious do you feel like what you guys are trying to do here is defensively? That's a really good question, and I'll be honest with you. That's something that I have to make a real hard decision on. Um, I've been through this first-year thing a number of times. Uh, sometimes it's gone really good, and sometimes it hasn't gone so good. So it'll be dictated by what the guys can do. I do believe uh, that as you approach this thing, you better make sure that they're not thinking and they're playing, uh, if that makes any sense. So. I'm hoping that we get the kind of guys that can handle multiple defensive package and still play fast, but we'll see. Understanding that it's still early, do you, do you feel like it's realistically that you can be where you want to be by the Jacksonville game, or do you feel like maybe you got to have to pull back a little bit? Well, we're going to have to be at a point where we feel like we can beat the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, and that's our job as players and coaches, so that's the goal. A couple more guys. I know you said you're still finding out uh, what you have with your cornerback, but I have a question about two guys. Is Kendall Fuller, is the plan for him at least the beginning to just focus on the slot? And then Demontre Wade, just what has um, allowed him to earn this opportunity? Yeah, I, I would uh, I would say yes to the first question that uh, we're gonna Kendall's gonna master that nipple spot. You gotta find a backup there too. And then in emergencies or at times, he may go outside, but I think that's a natural position for him. And it was D. Wade that you? Uh, yeah, Devontae yeah, Wade. Yeah, that asked about the other one. I think Devontae's done a heck of a job. He's, he's one guy that I think is really buying in and embracing the techniques <laughs> that Sam Madison and Dave Merritt are teaching. Um, again, there's a mental aspect to it. They all got to get caught up on that. So hopefully everybody, hopefully everybody puts it together, the mental and the good players with talent. And I think we'll have a pretty good defense. Coach, are you having fun being down in the middle of it, running a unit again? Yeah. yeah, that's probably an understatement. Yeah, um, I'm like a little kid. Uh, that's how I feel. You know, I, I feel 12 again. Sometimes I act 12, but no, I'm loving it. And part of that is being with Andy again and quite, quite frankly, these, this group of players. So that was Steve Spagnuolo, the, the Chiefs' new defensive coordinator. And I think you know this now. I know Brooke knows this. I just like hearing Steve speak oh yeah <laughs> I, you know he says the phrase look it a lot and that's one of it feels very like new england from new jersey new york massachusetts massachusetts dang it but he just says look it a lot well, in which case people look and they're like he's he's look. a he's a funny fusion of those things though the reason maybe you were not sure about that is he, he's lived in philadelphia the coach there for a long time his wife's from philadelphia so he will use terms that that will betray the Massachusetts accent, but who yeah. also say stuff. He didn't actually say this today, but he said it before. He used one of the terms. I know Blair will know this. You know, down the shore. That's what you do in the in the Philadelphia, Jersey area. You go down the shore. You know, he. Yeah, um, I've never heard that. We talk about coaches, players who went to basketball schools. You know, and um, he went to the ultimate basketball school. He went to Springfield College in Massachusetts where basketball was invented. Oh, well, that <laughs> right. would do it. Where James Naismith invented the game. So, um, anyway, he was really it was interesting, always good to hear from him. He was the he told us um, about Kendall Fuller and that question that he was you heard him answer. It was, the question was from Adam Teicher, our friend, and uh, you know, it was 
basically it's sort of a challenge. Is this defense going to be ready to go by game one, by by Jack, you know, the Jacksonville Jaguars game? And, you know, he, he, he didn't you know, declare that it would be. He just says there's a lot to find out about this defense. And, and you have to keep reminding yourself, not only is there a new defensive coordinator, but a whole new staff and all these new guys on defense. It is a work in progress. So Frank Clark can say you know, defense won the scrimmage as he did mm-hmm. on uh, on Monday. But look, the the offense is uh, it is it is not a work in progress. No, it is um, it, it is a you know finely well oiled machine. machine and and ready to go. Uh, the defense is going to need some uh, need some work and. But it just seems to me um, he is working with pieces that are better than what what we had last year here. I agree with that. I do think the pieces are more dynamic, certainly, than what what it was by the end of last year. I think we kept trying to see things in some of the people that were here that you you sort of were waiting for the the full breakthrough and Mm -hmm. it just didn't quite come. And and meanwhile, boom, Frank Clark is kind of this. Yeah, he already broke through. And Honey Badger is this, right? I mean, there's, there's so, obviously there's some variables, but, but, but you do have to feel, I think you can feel better about the parts. Can't we feel better about the parts? So then the question is, you know, activation, execution, maximizing, whatever you call it. And that's, that's the hinge his job turns on, right? Mm-hmm. Can he can he get it all to gel? You know, he started he started great, right? He came with Andy in '99 to to Philadelphia, and and though they he helped build that you know th- that team and organization. Jim Johnson was the defensive coordinator, and but they were up and running as a playoff team pretty soon after Andy Reid got there. So Spagnolo leaves. I think after the '06 season, correct, and becomes the the defensive coordinator of the New York Giants. Uh, and in two, 2007, the Giants not only you know win the Super Bowl and hold the New England Patriots to their low, the the Patriots that had set an NFL record for points in the season. Correct, I that also year, yes, uh, to their lowest po- point they were total. Eight, the 18 and 0 Patriots. Yeah, um, that's right. In that Super Bowl, held and, and the Giants win 17-14. Interestingly enough, the, the Patriots had scored like 35 on the Giants in the last game of the regular season. So. It, some interesting, you know, there's, there's probably a whole thing to be written. If they face the Patriots in the, in the playoffs again this year, I mean, I'm not, that game's not really relevant to this, but it would be interesting to just sort of look at how they game planned for that. Why are um, you telling people our stories ahead of time, Pahe? <laughs> That's, I mean, we will Because this is, we're trying to go inside the process. Oh, you're right. We started inside. We're going to end inside. Yeah, inside the process. Right. By the way, I didn't know this. Did you know that uh, Spags and Maria were married at the Vatican? What? Whoa. Yeah, I didn't include it in today's column. It somehow it didn't seem to fit with <laughs> with what I was writing like about. Like where in the Vatican? There, there's a whole special dispensation process and, and stuff like that. They, so he's like Catholic Catholic. Like that's, yeah. that's pretty, yeah. that's about as Catholic as you can yeah. get. It's amazing. That's fantastic. Did the Isn't that interesting? So I have to look back at the, my notes. What was your question? I said, did the Pope marry them? I don't think it works that way. (laughs) I don't don't think you have to check your notes for that. Uh, But the Pope did come through St. Louis, I think, when he was coaching the Rams. No, no. Well, speaking of St. Louis, that's where Spags went after the Giants, right? He became the head coach of the St. Louis Rams. He and Brendan Daly connected there. That's right. But, But look, this is an interesting part of the whole Spags story. So, you know, Frank Clark used the term, you know, a legend right about him. If, if he ever was a legend, it was around 2007, 2008, right? He was sort of at the peak of his career, architect of that great defensive game, had another good year with the Giants. But he's only really had about one notable year statistically 
since then. I mean, they were 10 and 38 when he was the Rams head coach. They got doubled up on scoring. The Rams were really bad. And 2016 was the only year, I think, you know, his defense with the Giants was second in the NFL. But I think other than that, it's been pretty spotty since then. I do believe, and I could be wrong, it, it could only benefit him to have taken that year off last year. And he had some options. He certainly turned down one assistant coach job, um, at least according to him, and I don't doubt him. But I think we all remember the teleconference he was on. I got him off to the side a little bit today about the revitalization and, and I think seeing the forest for the trees in a mm-hmm. different way. I think he brings something different to this. And there's clearly the hands-on aspect of it is resonating, it seems like, with players. And so, I mean, we no, we noticed that at OTAs and yeah, minicamp. Yeah, the and one-on-one pulling a guy aside in the middle of a drill to say, hey, here's what you're doing, here's what you should be doing. Da-da. And all of his coaches are like that. It mm-hmm. is very much they don't mind stepping away from the from the greater drill and, mm-hmm. and giving guy extra attention. And that's not something that I noticed happening a lot last year. I love how he said today that he feels 12 years old. He does. Oh, remember that? Mm-hmm. He's, and that acts was like one, it. And acts like it. That was one of my favorite moments. I was also transcribing, and he used the word a plethora of coverages. Yes. And I had to listen to it a couple times. I was like, did he? He, re- he really just said plethora. He I'm did. here for it. He did say He, he said went plethora. to Webster's. Yes, he did. He did. Yes, he did. Okay, guys, we'll take a break. And when we come back, you will hear from uh, Chiefs General Manager Brett Feach. Hey, it's Blair. Hey, we have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners. Unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Stars award-winning sports coverage. Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns we have to offer. And it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. For your convenience, your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at $50, unless you tell us to cancel. A lot of subscription services won't tell you that. They'll just sneak it on there. We just told you. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star. Please visit KansasCity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. Welcome back to Sportsbeat KC. I'm Blair Kirkhoff. I sat down with Chief General Manager Brett Veach to talk about the factors that went into building this year's team and coaching staff. We start by exploring this idea. How much change would the Chiefs have experienced if they hadn't suffered the crushing overtime loss in the AFC Championship game? You know, you're right in the sense that uh, it's it's like anything in life, um, success or winning kind of is, is a great band-aid and, 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 and you know, make up for anything. Um, but I think um, the important part uh, and, and what we do is just always, you know, continue to evaluate our team and, and be real. And it's certainly clear and evident that when you go through a season and, you know, your offense is going up and down the field, um, you just got to get better defensively. And, and you're right in the sense that, you know, had you had not had the offsides and maybe you're in the Super Bowl, um, you know, listen, you can sit here and say, well, we would still would have made changes or this or that, but the reality of it is um, you'd like to think that that's our job regardless, and, and we have to be real with, you know, um, how we perform on that side of the football, what we need to do, and, you know, maximize effort, uh, excuse me, maximize our resources and, and, and efforts into um, getting better in any way we can. And, you know, we started the process of, of free agency uh, in, in November, and trying to gauge the landscape of what we'd have access to and what we could potentially do and then know that the draft will follow that and um, 
but I think the entire season, it, you know, as the season goes on, even though the games are being played on Sunday, we're evaluating our team and, and we're putting plans together. And um, now you can't have discussions or talk to teams, but I mean, I remember in, in November and December watching guys like Frank Clark and thinking, if we have a chance, man, you yeah. know, this will help us get better. And, and, and you know, regardless, but, of, how regardless season, of how the season goes on. So, yeah. yeah, I think it's, you know, it's, it's, it's part of what we do and our obligation is, is to just, um, sit back, evaluate our team, and, and be real, and, and not just look at our record and say, oh, we're good, you know, we're having, we're, we're you know, 9-1 and one or 10-1 and one or whatever, 9-2 and two or 10-2, yeah. and two, like, okay, we're good. No, I mean, like, um, you, the longer you play in this league in regards to your season and you go into the playoffs, I mean, your weaknesses are going to be exposed more and more, um, not just during the course of the season, but, you know, the, the more impactful games and the more important games, you know, those teams are obviously going to, dial in and, and 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 so you want to be sound on, on both sides of the football and certainly we're a lot more sound on the offensive side so um you know we spent a lot of time even during that you know great season we had last year of just you know coming up with ideas um months before free agency on what we can do and and how aggressive we need to be how did um how did the unexpectedly unbelievable season from Patrick Mahomes change the trajectory of of this team and the organization, and no, I don't. I don't always believe in timetables. You know, you, you put the best team on the field every year you possibly can, but nobody thought fifty and five thousand were coming from him that year. And did that? Did that change, or did that alter in any yeah. plans, growth plans? Yeah, I don't. I don't know because I mean, you know how this business is and this league works. I mean, you know, it, it's. You know, it's hard to think in, in today's NFL um, and the turnover rates in, in regards to the staffs and, and, and the way this league works. I mean, you've got to, you know, um, go into each season and, and put your organization um, in, you know, in your city and your fan base in a position to win. Now, there are unique, you know, unique situations where there's, you know, complete turnover or, you know, you're picking first in the draft and you need some time to, to grow and develop the quarterback, all that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, we're coming off uh, a couple AFC division titles um, certainly knew that Patrick uh, had all the ability in the world right so you know we expect it to be good and and um, but I think from the mindset of how we operate since coach has been here um, and I think the record that we've had since coach since coach has been here is that um, you know we, we, we have to be prepared to do whatever we need to do year in and year out to put our team and our organization in the best position possible and, and, and that was no different this offseason um, you know, and we had a great year, but we weren't we weren't good enough, and, and you know we didn't make it to the Super Bowl, and, and um, certainly didn't want to sit back and, and rest on our laurels from last year and think that all right, well, you know they're you know we had a great year and we have this quarterback, and, and we'll just you know figure it out as we go. No, we got to go, and we got to get him some help on defense, and, and we got to get some guys that will come in here right away and, and impact that side of the football, and, um, and certainly there's a reason why the, the Honey Badgers here and Frank Clark's here, and, and we identify those two guys as. Um, guys that can come in here and, and, and help us give uh, Pat more opportunities with the football. Um, a, a team that overhauls its defensive coaching staff, uh, whether it's offense or defense, whatever side of the ball it is, but a team that does that, I mean, that's um, you do that with the the comment is there was something not right about you know about that side of the ball. So what what. Um, What's your expectation for Steve Spagnolo and, and, and the defense? 
Yeah, I think um, Tom, it's a great question. I, I think that you know we just want to go out there and and you know as coach would say put your guys in the best position to make plays. But I think that the unique thing and, and the thing that's helped us um, kind of put our plan together quickly um, is, you know, been the fact that, you know, there's a rapport with Coach and, and Coach Spagnola. I mean, they, they worked before in Philadelphia, and I've had the opportunity to work with him in Philadelphia. Um, sometimes from both a coaching staff and a personnel staff, um, if there's a new hire on that side of the football, um, you know, does that coach know what training camp's like? Does he know what the interaction's like with the scouts? Is he able to effectively communicate what they're looking for? Can we be on the same page? And how quickly will that um, take? So even though it was a, um, an overhaul in that sense, because of the familiarity between both coaches and because we knew how he operated, he knew how Coach Reed operates, it allowed us um, to hit the ground running. And I remember him coming in and, and um, you know, he had a, a few weeks to sit there and, and digest a, you know, a whole season worth of tape, and then we were able to get together and then just go through every single player and how we can get better, um, identify things that he's looking for, and then um, it helped us really refine our searchability on both the pro and college side. Um, but you know, listen, if you're on Coach Reed's staff, trust and communications are, are, are vital, and um, we already had that rapport. So I think. Um, us going to him with our game plan and him being able to add some insight to our staff um, just gave us confidence to know that hey, listen, we're gonna we're gonna you know attack this thing. We're gonna know that coach is gonna put those guys in, in great positions and get the most out of them and have full confidence in that. And look, the guys has a great track record. I mean, yeah. done a great job. Obviously, everyone knows and remembers we did New York, and um, so he he knows how to maximize his guys and, and get them playing hard. And then you talk about the staff that he put together it's yeah. just I mean phenomenal. I mean. These guys are just really, really good, and you know, um, I think he's going to have a few head coaches potentially one day from that staff. So it's exciting and, and um, great communication, um, great coaching out there. And um, everyone asks about, you know, well, how long will this take to gel and this and that. But I, I can't answer how long it'll take to gel. But I know one thing, um, you know, this, I'm sure that the defense will get better as the season goes on. But but I know. Um, from having worked with Steve and, and some of these guys on the staff, that he'll have them playing hard, and, and that's certainly half the battle. Yeah, that was Chiefs General Manager Brett Veach sitting down with me earlier today. And, yeah, I've, I've always wondered what uh, how, how this Chiefs roster might look now and the coaching staff, to be honest with you, if the Chiefs had found a way to, to defeat the Patriots in the AFC title game and go play the Rams. I think we all know that uh, Chiefs would have won that game after losing in L.A. in the regular season. But what if they were Super Bowl champions? Do you construct the Chiefs differently? Do you do you wipe out the coaching, the defensive side of the coaching staff, and and bring in Teran Matthew and, and Frank Clark and Agba and, and uh, everybody? I mean, it's 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 it really is a whole new look for the Chiefs. And you know, it's a lot of it's inspired by just the way that the the Patriots game unfolded. Yeah, and it is. It's really interesting to think about. And of course. Had they gone on to the Super Bowl and it was, you know, they lost 52 to, you know, 37 to the mm -hmm. Rams or something, I mean, maybe that doesn't change the dynamic that right. much. But let's say they go to the Super Bowl and, you know, hold the Rams to 30 fewer points than they did in the first meeting. I think, I think this is what sort of what your takeaway from Brett was, too. They're making changes because, you know, you can't, the status quo is probably not good enough anyway. But, you know, there were some real interesting questions to be asked about. What, they, what to do with Eric Berry and mm -hmm. Houston and D Ford, all those things. I'm not sure I feel like they would have done those any differently. 
and I do believe they were going to have to change from Bob Sutton. I just right. think that, so I, I guess, and it's a roll of the dice and we don't know, but to me, I think a lot of what they would have done, they would have done. Yeah, I agree. And, and I think that, <clears throat> I think that the defense gave them too many close calls in the previous year to feel comfortable going into another season with that. I mean, when you have the opportunity to alleviate some of that stress and alleviate some of the pressure that's on this offense by making some of those moves, I think that that continued. I think that that is what would contribute to making the changes, even if you won a Super Bowl. Oh. And maybe they say, maybe they encourage Bob Sutton to announce his retirement instead of announcing that he's been relieved of his duties. Good point. Uh, I, I remember, um, you know, the, the Sutton firing came, what, a day or two after after the, the title game loss. It was quick. Really right? quick. And, um, and, and, and then the, the moves happened. A lot of the moves happened after that. I, I, yeah, I just, I'm, I'm kind of left to wonder if, um, you know, if, if a Super Bowl victory uh, would have meant a, you know, a different type of, a different type of turnover for the Chiefs. Would have been a bold move, right? You go win the Super Bowl and then you fire defensive staff and, 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 and make all these changes with, with maybe Ford, Houston, Barry, Steve Nelson, and others. It would have been extremely bold. And, and I'm reflecting back to how we felt in the 48 hours after they came as close to a Super Bowl as they have in 50 years, thinking like, this has got to be sort of unprecedented, a total blow up. And then it became apparent that the whole staff was going to be changed. You know, you started seeing personnel and staff. I don't know how to track this, but I can't imagine that any team has ever gotten closer to a Super Bowl and blown up more on one side of the ball than, right. than this team. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe somebody got to a Super Bowl and blew it all up because what did, they saw But it did feel kind of odd given yeah. how far they got. But I think mean, that's indicative that. Yeah, they, they knew that there were changes that needed to be made, and they were a long time coming. And again, part of the reason it felt that way and is that you, you had to get rid of the – you had to move stuff out to move stuff in. Mm-hmm. So you're like, who's coming in? Right. What, what, are, they, what are they doing? Yeah. Yeah, I think when, when we – assuming the starters take the field against the Cincinnati Bengals next Saturday, more than half of the, the defense, starting defense, will be uh, players who did not suit up for the Chiefs in the – AFC Championship game last season. Okay, hey, Brooke, I cannot thank you enough. Vahe, thanks for being here. And thank you for listening to Sportsbeat KC, the Kansas City Stars sports podcast. Links to the stories we discussed today can be found in the show notes on kansascity.com, facebook.com slash redzoneextra, the Red Zone Extra app, and in the print editions of the Kansas City Star. Thanks to Kathy Lou and Leah Becerra for producing today's show. We'll be back Wednesday for another episode of Sports Beat KC, the Kansas City Stars sports podcast.